take your Bibles this evening. If you would, and turn to Isaiah chapter 9. I'll be there in a few moments, the book of Isaiah chapter 9. In the month of December, uh, we are sort of giving all of our services um, to sort of a Christmas thought. And so we're going to do that again tonight. So if you go ahead and stand with me. We'll go ahead and read from verse 1. Um, and we'll read down to 9, uh, verse 6. Of course, verse 6 is the one we're all familiar with. And I, I'm going to do that because I'll give you a little bit of history before we get into the thought, devotional thought this evening. So Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation, when at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterwards did more grievously afflict her, afflict her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan and the Galilee of the nations. And so Isaiah is referring to a time of... Um, Difficulty here, that things have been difficult, will become more difficult. But the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Now, thou hast multiplied the nation, and not increased the joy. Thy joy before thee, according to the joy of harvest, and as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For thou hast broken the yoke of the burden, and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every battle of the warrior is with confused noise, and garments rolled in blood, but this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. And the idea here is that when we go through hard times, it's confusing. We don't often and always know what is happening to us in the time of war or difficulty. But then this promise. But is kind of the idea, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather here in this manner this evening, Lord, to sing songs intended to praise you, Lord, to direct our hearts toward you. And Lord, now we thank you for the chance to look into your word. Lord, what a privilege it is to have a copy of your word. And then, Lord, with that comes our responsibility, Lord, to read it, to meditate on it, and then, Lord, appropriate it into our lives. And so I, I pray you'd help us to do that. And Lord, tonight, primarily, just have a confidence in who you are, and then a, a, an increased trust because of that. And so I ask for your help of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for standing. This text that we are reading tonight was penned about 700 years before Jesus was born. I think that's pretty incredible. Uh, so much of the Word of God, the Old Testament, is so uh, specifically um, descriptive of you know, the coming of Christ. And it was penned during a very dark and perilous time for the nation of Israel. Remember Israel and Judah, uh, really all the people of God, these were Jewish people, but divided into two nations. And here would have been the end or the culmination um, of really their histories. The year was approximately 725 BC, and the northern kingdom of Israel faced an existential threat from the Assyrian Empire that was growing and expanding. Now, lots of time we use the word existential for hyperbole. In this case, no hyperbole. They would face extinction. 
And as a national identity, they would no longer be a nation after their involvement here with Assyria. Assyria was at the pinnacle of its height and power, politically, militarily, uh, economically. Their empire was growing, and they intended it for it to expand. Tiglathar, Pelezer III, had built Assyria again to the zenith of power. Now his successor, Shalemazar V, was poised and ready to attack uh, a morally, spiritually, militarily bankrupt Israel. And really, that's the sadness. Because no matter how great the power that Assyria was, if Israel would have been otherwise morally upright, God would have taken care of them. You know, um, with the Lord, you don't have to have horses and tanks and, you know, the thriving economy. You just need faith and trust in Him. And so really the thing that would protect them was now gone. And that was a faith and confidence and trust in God and, and obedience to Him. And so these two combinations are not a good one. A morally bankrupt, a spiritually bankrupt Israel and an incredibly powerful Assyrian army on its border. And of course history records that in 722 B.C. Israel was in fact sacked and overrun and it was crushed in an excruciating way by the Assyrian army. The Jews were in mass uh, killed, brutally killed. Families were broken up. Uh, the land was devastated. And as was often the ancient custom, they just didn't you know, take over a land, they spoiled it. They had no intention really to stay there, so they would salt it or they would scorch it. Uh, they would basically, you know, in effect, like pour, pouring pesticide or oil on the land. They would make it unusable for generations. And, and this is what Assyria uh, did. This once proud nation of Israel was brought to its knees in shame and humiliation. And you know, God allowed this for their long disobedience in the wrong direction concerning Him. And so God's wrath you know, and judgment has come. But, you know, God always has plans for good for His people, even when that plan involves, um, you know, our, our, our punishment. I should say discipline would be a better word to use. God is not looking to just merely crush us. He is looking to mold us into something that He can use in a greater way. And so in this severe and dire circumstance, this confusion of war that the text describes, you know, the writer here, Isaiah, leaves the people with a ray of hope. Again, all these preceding verses in Isaiah 9, you know, talk about gloom, distress, and oppression. And that really was the idea that the writer had. And yet, in the darkest of times, he wanted to leave them with hope. Now, he would do this exact same thing uh, with Judah in uh, the decades ahead. And it's the same thing he wants to do with us. Life is in its battles and wars and confusion and distresses. It's, it's perplexing. It's difficult. And sometimes, um, you know, metaphorically and maybe even a real way, the lights can seem dim. Things can seem dark. We may not feel like we can find our way out of that. But in this time, God writes this for a future time and a future people. For unto us, speaking of God's people. This, this nation now brought to its knees by its own corruption. You know, he, the writer, in a way, like looks at the people and says, but there's hope. And he says these words. 
For unto us a child is born. And, and I'm probably going to talk about the idea of a child this Sunday. But for unto us a child is born, and a son is given. And then he goes on to describe that one day uh, the government will rest upon his shoulders. And that the oppression that you have long felt from Assyria and Babylon and Egypt and, and, and eventually would be Rome and Greece, one day all those governments will be no more and the governments of the world will rest upon his shoulders. Now, that day is coming. Amen. And, you know, um, I, I'm not really huge into eschatology and I, I, I tend not to be gloom and doom, but I do think this, we are one day closer than we've ever been before. And it sort of feels like the, clock, the clock's moving a little faster than it did when earlier than my life. And um, so I think this day is coming. And so he would go on and give this promise. To these hurting people, a gift would be given, a son, a child. And of course, they would have understood that as the Messiah. That the one who would deliver Israel politically and socially would, would come. But of course, God intended much more than that. He intended a spiritual deliverance as well. And he would allude to that in other chapters. You know, so much here we could preach and teach about and about this gift that is given in this son and child. This idea that God himself would intervene in the human affairs in terms of an incarnation, because that's really what's implied here more than a theophany. But God himself coming um, to rescue us. And we talked about that a little bit this past Sunday but that he would come uh, in, in a personhood, though still in heavenly deity, Emmanuel. And so this gift of the God-man, human deity, was going to be given and sacrificed. Um, for these people's purposes, just a light of hope would come, but then a greater light of spirituality would come for them as well to meet the needs that these people felt and the ones they, they needed to feel in terms of the heart. And so in this hope, um, Isaiah, inspired by the Lord, gives four descriptive names of the one who should give them hope, how to cope in this difficult world. From Genesis to Revelation, the Bible uses about 250 different and unique titles for God and or the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, being the same. Um, but our text briefly consolidates sort of all of these 250 uh, ideas about God as inscribed by title down into four. So the four encompassing descriptive titles of the one who can give humanity hope in the darkest of times. These names are incredible and they identify a person but more than just a, this, the more the, the person as a person, but his character as well. Think about these. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting, that means um, no beginning, no end, Father, and Prince of Peace. Now these are couplets. All these go together. They're not to be taken really separately. They're to be taken in this... this uh, you know, two-phrased idea. And one of these names really describes the person and the other his provision, who he is and what he does. Another way you could look at it is one describes the human element and the other the, the, the deity of God. So it goes like this. 
Wonderful describes his deity. Counselor describes or emphasizes his humanity. Mighty reminds us of his earthly nature. God reminds us of his heavenly position. Everlasting speaks, of course, of a divinity. Father speaks of earthly relationship and humanity. Prince is a title given to men. But peace is something that only God can bring. And so these are incredible titles. These four titles, descriptions, were meant to encourage these hurting people. And of course, in our journey in the Lord, they are meant and preserved to encourage us as well. Wonderful Counselor. You know, at Christmas, we uh, were given um, access to the one who can solve all of our confusion. Um, there are a lot of descriptors we could use to describe the world today, but just a 10 minute reading, and you would say, This world is broken. It's confusing. You know, America has journeyed quite the journey over a couple centuries, and it feels like things are sort of coming unhinged, that this uh, experiment of a republic um, that very much requires an ethic and character and a morality to it is failing. Uh, not that the institution idea can't work, it's just that people don't. And it, it feels like we sort of live in a time where everyone sort of needs a therapist, an analyst, a counselor, and I don't even mean that facetiously. I mean, it is a chaotic and confusing time. All of us have some hang-ups. I think most people are confused. We, we don't know who to believe. We are misguided. We are taken advantage of. We are bewildered, and we can feel lost. How many times could each of us say tonight, I don't know what to do? <laughs> I just don't know what to do. I don't know where to turn. I don't know who to believe. I, I, don't, I don't know where things are headed. There's just this sense of this kind of um, crisis inside of us. Um, but Israel, in the text, was promised someone who could make sense of the world. Uh, they were promised someone that if they had a question, he could answer it. If they had needs, he could meet it. If there, if there was perplexity, um, he would know how to give direction in that. Um, this wonderful counselor means he was amazing. The word wonderful, astonishing, extraordinary. Counselor refers to the one who advises and helps and encourages. The text is telling us that Jesus is the one that we can bring all, all of our emotional distress and baggage to. All of our hurts, all of our confusions, all of our questions, uh, all the condition of our heart. And he can, he can address that in real and meaningful and constructive ways. He is, in fact, the perfect teacher. He is the all-wise guide. He is the wise holder of all the wisdom that you and I will ever need. Jesus is the wisdom of God wrapped in initially swaddling clothes. And now he is clothed in royal garbs on the right side of God. In Christ, as a counselor, we have access to all wisdom. You know, the Bible lends this promise to us in James 1 that if any man lacks wisdom, okay, that would be me and that would be you. 
Um, this week, I'm probably going to need wisdom for maybe a conversation with someone. I'm going to need com- uh, wisdom in leading my family. Um, I, I, it's never lost on me that I need wisdom for simply making the decisions of the stewardship of Eastland Baptist Church. This is not something that I feel like men can do in just pragmatic wisdom or principles, that we need the wisdom and leadership of God in these things. And I am so grateful, you know, that we have problems this big and wisdom and shoulders just this wide, that we can go to God and say, I need help, and He promises to give it. That's incredible. He gives guidance in Psalms 119, 105, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The Bible tells me that understanding comes from Jesus, Proverbs 2, 6, For the Lord giveth wisdom unto the mouth, and through the mouth cometh understanding and knowledge. You know, knowledge is information, it's data. Let me say it this way, in this world, knowledge is truth. And man, does the world need truth. From God comes truth. And this world is so confused about what truth is, and that's another sermon. But God gives truth in the person of Jesus, but He also gives understanding. What do I do with the truth? How to appropriate that and, and make that applicable in my life? If ever we lived in a time where we needed absolute truth, we need it now. Colossians 2, 3, In whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You know, there's a lot of good books out there that I'm sure can lend some help, but never neglect to look into this book. When your soul and your heart and your mind and your head just need some healing and direction, a counselor, um, some time with God every day can go a long way to help and fix a broken soul. Sometimes you and I do need a human counselor. But, um, you know, human sympathy and empathy can only go so far. What we need is what Psalms 147.3 says, but the truest, richest source of help is in Christ. Uh, the Bible says, He hath healeth the broken heart, and He bindeth up our wounds. And so many times we need to take that to the Lord. The second thought here is this, that He is the mighty God. In the Hebrew, El, uh, prefix, El refers to God, Jehovah, and Gabor, the strong one. Now that's redundant to me, the God who is strong. The God who is almighty. But this is for emphasis. The warrior God, the, 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 the God of valor is the idea here. It speaks of a mighty ruler, a strong fighter. One who intervenes on behalf of those who need him. And he is able to help them. All too often in our lives, we bump up against our own limitation. I don't know where the money is going to come from. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to fix the problem. I feel like I'm boxed in. I don't know how to get out. I don't see, the, I don't see a solution. You know, so many times we, we come to the end of our ability to fix our own problems or other people's problems. Our inability, human frailty, we, we can't do the things that we want to do. But in Christ, we have access to the mighty God. We have access to the all-powerful Creator. The one who by his fiat, by his word, spoke the world into existence. And he leans in and listens to the concerns of our heart. You know, there's there's this idea behind prayer. You know, is that when you have money, you have what money can do. When you have position, you have what position can do. 
When you have power, you do what power can do. When you have intellect, you get what intellect can do. But when you have prayer, then suddenly you have what God can do. <laughs> and that's the idea here. When we ask God for help, He is an ever-present help in our time of need. He is given to us, for us, to help, to assist, to encourage us, and to uh, navigate us through life in a way that honors God. El Gabor literally means, I like this, the hero God. The hero God. The Savior God. The one who rescues when nobody else can rescue. He has already fought and won the greatest battle for us. And that was done on the cross. Right. You know, every earthly power was hurled at him and he defeated them all, including sin and death. But he continues to fight for us. He is an advocate for us. What a humbling thought that today... The Lord Jesus Christ stood at the right hand of God to advocate for me against the accuser, against my own failings. He fights and rescues us from our sins, our addictions, our habits. He gives us the grace and the mercy to go on and try again. When we are weak, then he is what? He is a mighty God. He is strong. Again, he is the ever-present help in our time. He fights and gives power that caused me to grow, to change, to overcome, to persevere, to help me when I want to quit. He is the source of grace to help me conquer that which is evil in my own life. He is there to forgive, help me to apologize. Um, he is my sufficiency in all of my insufficiency. 2 Corinthians 9, 8, and God is able to make all grace abound, I love this, toward you. This, this power is just not out there in some amorphous fashion that cannot be harnessed. Now, God is able to take all this creative power and make it abound in you. That ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. You know, when we've come to the end of ourselves, God's right there. And as Paul so eloquently said, when we are weak, then he is strong. We live in a time, um, and this is a thought that came to me, so I, I may uh, back up from this thought. But if we're not careful, we're going to look for power and a savior and rescue from illegitimate sources. You with me on that? Um, I want to remind you, the battle is the Lord's. And it can be easy for Christian people to want to make a deal with the devil to get us through some hard times because they have some values that we like and might agree with. In other words, there's a lot of politicians who are going to say things that you might agree with on one, two, and three. But they are immoral, they are corrupt, and they are not Christian. And so we maybe can vote for the lesser of evils in the world, but look here at me, that ain't our hope. Sorry, the Oklahoma just came out in me. That's not where our hope lies. We should do what we can, work the venues we have, that's not where my hope is at. 
Man, I hope someone can do something with the economy, but if not, I have God. I have all kinds of concerns, north and south, in every direction. And, you know, who, whatever can do something, whatever, but I, I, I trust in the Lord. Sometimes I feel like this world, you know, I can look all kinds of places for help. Um, but I know where help comes from. And so I just, there's just this strong sense I, I want, want us all to understand we are not, as a nation, in a hopeless position. We are not. We have God. Amen. And when we have God, we have all we need. And if, if something difficult comes, then we still have God. And there will be a time when I talk more to you about that. Then number three, he is the watchful father who showers us with compassion. He is the everlasting father. More than any other name, at least among these four, you know, describe in ways that we can understand right, to the character of the heavenly father. I mean, I, I, in this sad world, there are people who may not hear the word father um, with the tone and ring that God might have intended or with some of us experience. But when God says father, it's supposed to be um, something that sounds great. Comforting, caring, protective, loving, kind, gracious. A father is supposed to be good. And if we had a bad earthly one, he is a good heavenly one. A father is the one who loves his children. And he sacrifices himself for them. And he did that. We are told here, not just that God is um, um, from eternity, but this incredible God can slow down and care about me individually. You know, he's my father. Mighty God. You know, that just like can seem overwhelming. No, but he's, for those who have accepted him in Christ, he is my father. It's totally relational. His children are the objects of his unending, ever non-swerving, continual, constant care and watchful eye. This text tells us that we belong to him in a, in a blood familial way. As an everlasting father, it is implied and intended to convey that he will always be there. He's never too busy. He will always listen. He is not preoccupied. He's not disinterested. And he loves us unconditionally. He is our father. It's a father who protects, who loves, who corrects, Hebrews 12, he encourages, he challenges, and he stands ready to help and defend us, as all good earthly fathers will and do. His everlasting care has no end. He is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. Bethlehem was not his beginning, it was just his incarnation. And that unending God loves me individually and uniquely. He is my father. I think that's cool. And then, you know, finally, he's a gift to us that can calm our hearts. He can cover my mind. He gives rest to my soul and body. Um, he's one who watches over me. And then, as the text says, he is the prince of peace. He is the Sar Shalom. 
the source of peace. He is the one, the Bible says, who can grant and give rest. His birth, the Messiah, gives us hope. His life gives us direction. His death gave us redemption and pardon. His resurrection provides for us everlasting life. And through Him, no matter what the world can bring, we can have a heart of peace. Um, watch five minutes of the news and that will be threatened. <laughs> Drive down 169 at 5.30 and it will threaten your peace. Your sanity in your soul. But I'm so glad I can come into a place like this. And be reminded that he is the Prince of Peace. You know, think about this. Jesus brought for us peace between me and God. That was impossible without him. We call that theologically reconciliation. The just for the unjust. Why? So he could bring us to God. What's that mean? Peace with God. Religion cannot give you peace with God. Good works cannot give you peace with God. Only the sacrifice and the person and, you know, this Prince of Peace can give you peace with God. Though it eludes us, if we let him, he can bring peace just in here. You know, peace in my soul, peace in my heart, reassurance. You know, we don't preach maybe uh, about this often as we can. We talk about the characteristic of a Christian. But, you know, Christians ought not worry. Christians ought not fret. Christians ought not be so worried about the future and, and the state of so many things. Um, God, through Jesus, can bring peace to, to our hearts. And then, of course, when we allow him to, he can bring peace between you and me. He can bring peace in your family. Um, we don't have to be at odds with each other in the way so much of the way the world is. You know, Christmas is about gifts, but the celebration of Christmas, as you know, we look at it, is about God giving us what we really need. We think we need a great number of things. What we really need is a counselor. And we find it in Christ. What we really need is help. And we can find it in the mighty God. What we really need is someone to love us and take care of us. And that's in the everlasting Father. And we need to live a world of contentment and peace, free from worry and distress, and that comes from the Prince of Peace. This is a gift that allows um, what He provides to overshadow and overarch every other concern in our life. Christians should never feel overwhelmed. You know, tonight if we're here and you need an answer, there's one I could point you to. If you need strength, there's a grace that can be had. If you feel stress, uh, there is a peace that can be known. And if you need someone to love you, well, there's a father who can do that.